0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and
1: more. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC
2: Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
1: Does your child have a support or specialist teacher at school? And how vital are they to your child's education? There's a proposal to cut the visiting teacher service, which provides that special support needed in the state's public school system. And that will be cut for students with vision impairment, hearing difficulties, autism and other disabilities. The proposal would reduce the number of visiting support teachers from 117 to 32 so what does that look like in reality? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Nick Healy, joining you from ABC Shepparton. Nick, that's a huge drop in support teachers. And you've got to think, you know, the word support is pretty key and fundamental here, isn't it?
2: Absolutely fundamental. When I saw those numbers, I wanted to go and check them. I just thought that's impossible for it to be like that. And look, I confess, you know, when I was in school many, many, many years ago, I, I don't recall anything anything like this i think people were just let to fall through the cracks or left behind i got sort of a a bit of an insight into it recently hearing the story of calvin from regional victoria he's in year 11 he is a gun when it comes to maths and physics failed english because there's no auslan interpreter for him i mean i think this is a really this these are real people being genuinely impacted by this in some harsh ways
1: And there's such a big push for students to be able to go to a mainstream school if they choose to, no matter what their disability may be. But that being said, the classroom teacher needs that support. Mm -hmm. You know, it will either impact their ability to teach, it may impact the other student's ability to learn. And if that child does need special support, we have those services currently there, and that's potentially what's going to be cut. So some parents are now worried that... You either have to take your child out of that school, somewhere where they've built communities, maybe where you've bought a house and you live. And if you choose to stay there, then you're going to have to provide that support teacher or specialist teacher yourself, maybe through the NDIS. And we all know that's a barrel of laughs to work your way through that system. So where does it leave students? Where does it leave parents?
2: I don't know. And and, and teachers as well. The other side of the equation, as you touched on, there's no teacher. Working anywhere in Victoria who wants to see a student left behind. No one does, but they know they've got limited resources. Mm. If they're putting more attention on one student, it, it is taking away from the other kids. No one wants that. There, there's got to be a way forward on this.
1: So maybe you're a support teacher or you're a parent whose child relies on a support teacher to be able to attend a mainstream school. Are you a classroom teacher? And how is this proposal to cut specialized and support teachers going to affect you?
2: on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
1: This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, joining you from Melbourne, your co-host this morning, Nick Healy from ABC Shepparton, and we're talking about the proposal to cut support teachers and specialised teachers, a really big cut if this is something that happens. So how will it impact you? Cynthia's in Wodonga. Good morning. Good morning, How will this impact you?
3: Our daughter is a seven-year-old um, little girl and she is legally blind and she relies on visiting teachers to um, help her with learning Braille, um, how to use her iPad with um, correctly so she can possibly put her worksheets on the iPad and do them because obviously the text can be too small for her to be able to read. So. If you put it on the iPad, she can zoom in on it and make it large and she can actually um, do her work that way.
2: Cynthia, what's the access like for those support teachers? Have you found it easy to find people?
3: Um, it was pretty easy early on. Um, and unfortunately, there's only really one visiting teacher for our area and she's away at the moment. So we're sort of having to sort of try and tap into sort of the other um, visiting teachers around Victoria, but obviously they've got a lot on their books, so they can't necessarily come into Zoe as much as we like, but they're sort of just a phone call away.
2: And I guess that puts a huge amount on, on your family to make sure that you're helping Zoe keep up when you can.
3: Oh, and it- In a way we can't because I think, um, a lot of the, um, services like Guide Dogs and Vision Australia, their children's services are Melbourne based. So, um, if they get up here, it's maybe once every three months. And then, um, yeah, I think once they, these, these come in, it's probably going to be harder to get into them. And we're sort of, um, I don't know how to word it properly, but we're, we're, we're sort of behind for the fact of regional Victoria where in Wodonga there's not many people that know about vision no. impairment and how, how to work with it correctly and how to teach a child that's vision impaired. So they depend on the the teachers at um, Zoe school. They sort of depend on the direction from the visiting teacher and how to include Zoe. Um, sort of a great example of that is Zoe was... Um, struggling with letter formation and um, writing. So the visiting teacher showed Zoe and the school about like changing the colour of the paper, um, showing the best way of basically being able to write in different colours of pencils that she could yeah. write. And, she could see. Yeah. And, as, and again, the visiting um, teacher was the one that sort of helped us that because the teacher's... Um, as much as they are amazing where where she is, they just don't they have that experience with a child that's vision impaired. And I think that for where we are, we don't see anyone else in the community that is vision impaired. So that's as young as Zoe. So, um, yeah, it's probably been a few years since they've actually dealt with a child that has been vision impaired.
2: So, Cynthia, if we see these visiting teacher cuts that are being proposed, what's it going to mean for Zoe, mm. do you think?
3: I have a feeling that essentially she's just going to be going to be, um, baby or school to be babysat because I think she's just going to be um, excluded and isolated from her education.
1: Oh, Cynthia, we so hope that that isn't the case. And I think by talking about it today and just trying to highlight how vital and important these services are, Cynthia, we wish you and, and Zoe and your family all the best. Stay in touch. Thank you. This NDIS does not support educational needs. We won't be able to use NDIS fundings to support our aid teachers. That's Cindy in Torquay. And Julie says they're cutting all the teachers for students with physical disabilities. This group of students includes those with autism, physical disabilities. It has incredibly high rates of absenteeism and school refusal. Many will disengage and fail without this. Bree's in Langwarren. Morning, Bree morning how are you good how will this affect you um it
4: impacts my child who is completely blind from birth um and he integrated into the mainstream system in grade two with the help of his visiting teacher service for the blind they instructed the teaching aids that were going to work with him how the braille worked how the equipment worked how to create tactile maps informed the classroom teacher what allowances need Mm. to be made in the curriculum to help him thrive, basically.
2: So this was a profound change for him, Bree?
4: Sorry, what was that?
2: This was a profound change for him.
4: Oh, massive. And if he loses this service, he basically loses his ability to
1: educate himself. Um, He'll just get lost in the system and not be employable. Have you been given any notice any information? Have you been contacted at all about how these proposed changes will affect you, your child and your school, Bree?
4: Um, not really. We've had some word through trickle through that it's going down to about 32 visiting teachers from where it stands at the moment. Um, that 32 is going to be across all disabilities. That's not just for the blind and that's statewide mind you. So there is just going to be no way that they can get face-to-face contacts that they are currently having at the moment, um, it'll barely be a phone call because they're just not going to have the time to get to their caseload. They're going to be inundated with kids who need help, um, even troubleshooting, you know, like their equipment. who, who mm. The t- classroom
1: teacher's not going to know how to troubleshoot their no. equipment on no. the go. And this is just shows how specialised... This is why they're called specialist teachers, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> and support teachers because... It's fundamental, it's support, it's specialised because every child's need is different and individual Brie we wish you all the best as well this is from Margie and it says the visiting teachers are not only support teachers in the classroom, for teachers they're also enormous support for that child's family, a visiting teacher liaises with the other services it might be audiologists, speech therapists statewide vision resource centre, this is a shocking decision that's made, thank you Rochelle and Nick for concentrating on this I was a visiting teacher for many years
2: and another visiting teacher on the text line saying we also provide support to really stressed parents stressed teachers they can feel out of their depth with complex physical and medical needs i mean that support is there on both sides of the education system and i think that's a really important thing to highlight here
1: so how will this impact you maybe you're a support teacher a parent of a child or a classroom teacher yourself
2: this is the conversation hour
1: on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you. in Melbourne, Nick Healy, your co-host, joining you from ABC Shepparton. We're talking about the proposal to cut support teachers and visiting teachers. And Nick, we knew that this would go off. So if you, we have a full board of calls, be patient. We will try and get to you because we want to try and get through as many calls as possible. This is life-changing and not yeah. in a good way for so many families,
2: Nick. And I think it's really, if you are not one of those families, if you are not one of those teachers, it's hard to understand just how profound this change will actually be. Uh, Dr Emily White is a lecturer and researcher in inclusive education with the University of Melbourne. Uh, Emily, good morning to you.
5: Good morning. Thank you very much for having
2: me. I want to step back a little bit because we're talking about the impact that, the, that, that removing these teachers will have. but. What do they do in the classroom? Give me a sense of how these visiting teachers actually operate.
5: Sure, well, there are there are four streams of visiting teachers. And, and while we're focusing a lot on those who are working with students who are blind, have low vision or deaf blind, those who are deaf or hard of hearing, there are also ones who of course work with students who have autism and or complex health and or medical needs. So it's quite a broad range of skills that these, um, that these teachers are trained in. So it really depends on the individual student's needs. So for example, a student who is totally blind from birth has a really high level of need in terms of access to the curriculum and the learning environment. So a teacher might, uh, a specialist visiting teacher who's uh, qualified in vision impairment, they might be working with that student quite extensively in a really one-to-one basis to do things like to teach braille, to teach tactile graphicacy, which is where you learn Mm -hmm. to read a picture by touching a tactile image. To learn to use a long white cane, to learn to advocate for themselves, to lift their head up when they speak to someone, because that doesn't come naturally to a child who's blind from birth. They might work really intensely with that child and that child's classroom teacher and that child's classmates and their school to ensure that they've got full access to the curriculum and the learning environment. Right? Emily, what's,
2: oh, oh, I was just going to say, what sort of age group are we talking about?
5: We're talking about kids who are starting school, so in in, uh, prep uh, or in foundation year, all the way up to kids who are in year 12. And that support really changes as that child's needs change. So it might uh, begin to drop off significantly as they become much more independent in high school. The student is really independent with their technology to access, you know, uh, text and, you know, the whiteboard and information from classmates. They might only need a visiting teacher to come and help, say, speak to the school about some uh, issues with physical accessibility they might be having. But it just really boils down to what that individual child needs. So kids will get different types of service depending on their needs. But it almost always includes direct teaching of those specialist skills that these kids need to learn whenever a decision or a proposal is made to cut something
1: you try and see the reasoning behind it and you try to understand and sometimes you may not agree with it but you can at least see why To be honest, I am really struggling to see any logic behind this at all. Here's just one of the texts that's come in. It's important to know that the department continues to say that these students will, their new and their, their needs will be met via the new inclusion outreach coaches, in inverted commas. However, the job description for an outreach coach explicitly states that they do not support individual students. There is a teacher crisis right now. The support for these kids will fall back Back onto the classroom teacher. This will further impact the teacher retention crisis, and that's from anonymous. And there is tens and tens of texts saying very similar things. Why
5: is this being done, Emily? That's an excellent question for the department to answer. I I, I can't speak for the department. Um, I was a visiting teacher myself in vision impairment for many years, and. I saw firsthand, you know, the, the importance of this role in terms of being that bridge between the, the regular curriculum that everyone's expected to learn, that is, that is a responsibility of the classroom teacher to teach everyone in their class, and that child themselves who have massive issues in accessing the world around them because they don't see well, they can't hear well enough. They have autism, which changes the way that they understand the world. They have complex medical needs, which means they're out of school all the time. There's there's lots of things around these students that, that create a barrier to their access. So what these teachers do is directly create that bridge to let them access everything that everyone else is doing around them. So they have the same chances of success. And we know that when students particularly, and I'll speak from vision impairment because that's my area, when we teach what we largely term the expanded core curriculum, so everything that's not just numeracy and maths and phys ed and science, but there's a special set of skills that our kids who are blind or have low vision or who are deafblind need to learn. Things like braille literacy, for example, if if print it doesn't work for them, or using a long white cane, or using special technology so they can have what's on a computer read aloud to them. Now, those skills, we know that if you teach those skills and we know that our students have a right to be taught those skills from a qualified teacher, as according to um, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, the Disability Discrimination Act, which is an Australian law, um, the Disability Standards for Education, which again is Australian law. We know that if they're taught those things from a qualified teacher. We've got great research that says that they do really well. They do the things that their sighted classmates do. They get yeah. jobs. You know, they go to they go to post-secondary training. They, go to, they have friendship groups. They volunteer in their communities. They're able to access and participate on an equitable basis as others.
2: Emily, I don't what? know if... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just might get you to hold on for one second because I know uh, Ali from Bendigo has actually called in and Allie is on her way to work as a visiting teacher. Ali, are you still there? I
6: am. Hi,
2: how are you? I'm good. You're on your way to work now, is that right? Yeah,
6: I've just been out to a school in Bendigo this morning, um, working with a primary age student who has cerebral palsy. Um, so I work with his education support aide um, and his classroom teacher and also the school. Um, this morning we've been working on a number of fine motor activities, um, lots of assistive technology support for him. He obviously has difficulty um, with handwriting tasks, so we've been looking at keyboarding skills, voice-to-text activities as well, um, and now I'm on my way out of Bendigo for an hour drive to work with another physical disability student um, she's also in primary school um, working on similar um, tasks with them as well but our service will completely disappear for all students who are a health physical disability.
2: And Ali I was going to ask being regional it sounds like you travel a lot you work with a variety of different kids in different towns.
6: Correct. Yeah, look we can um our team can do up to five hundred kilometres a week. Um, getting out wow. to small schools who don't have access um, yes. to to these sorts of things. So we are their key contacts for a lot of support with our expertise as well.
1: And it's not just the key support that you have i mean there's a text here that says visiting teachers and support teachers are some of the most highly trained experienced teachers we have in victoria with master's degrees they are specialty in their fields on top of that ali if you're in a remote or regional or rural area you may not have access to some of the services that people living in bigger regional city centers or in melbourne may have just finally ali how much of this, th- these proposed cuts do you understand? Were you given any warning? What does this mean for you and for your career and something that you train and you specialise in?
6: Yeah, look, we were given no warning um, and it has come as huge disbelief, um, actual shock, disappointment, anger. Um, I'm actually new to the visiting teacher role after coming out of the classroom. This was a job I thought I would be in for years. It's something we are all passionate about. We're there to help with the new disability inclusion model, support schools, students are at the centre. We're still really confused about what the process is, what it's going to mean for all of us. But um, obviously myself, I'm not a vision or hearing visiting teacher, so I will have no job. Um, And we don't know when that's going to start and when it's going to end. Things are filtering out, but we're not getting clear answers really.
2: (sighs) Ali, thank you so much Gosh. for calling in, um, especially while you are on the road, while you're yeah. in the middle Drive of safe. work. I mean, Michelle, it boggles the mind why this is actually happening to me. Um, I, you know, we're hearing these tales. It's just incredible.
1: Yeah, I'm actually feeling quite angry, actually, the more <laughs> I hear these individual stories. Just finally, Dr Emily White, is this likely to happen? It is a proposal at the moment. I can't tell you how many calls and texts we have at this at the moment and how it's going to directly impact people's lives is it going to happen
5: uh, that is an answer that only the department can give. I, I do know that the the level of advocacy that we've seen from particularly parents who are you know of children who have these types of disability has been phenomenal. There has been an outcry from that community, and that's a that's a pretty impressive thing considering that you know those those parents have a, a tricky road sometimes to balance you know just their general lives but also supporting you know their their child in terms of how their disability and the world around them impacts them. So to see the parent outcry as well as those of us you know in the community as professionals, you know, those of us who are in academia, um, those of us who support students on the ground, like the visiting teachers themselves, those who are past students and their families, you know, the the ripple is enormous. We, You know, it's a very rare thing to have one of these disability types. So most people don't understand what that means for these students when they're when they, you know, need this additional level of support. But if you can imagine being a classroom teacher in, say, year two, and all of a sudden at the beginning of your school year, a student walks in who deafblind, And you as a classroom teacher have had no training in that because it's an incredibly rare disability, and none of your undergraduate or even postgraduate training has focused on what you will do, and yet you have a legal right to include that student. That's where the visiting teacher service comes in, in a direct teaching sense and also in a support role sense for the classroom teacher, the family, and the school. Um, I I can't imagine that, you know, with the Department's long history of supporting students with disability really well, I can't imagine that this proposal would go ahead because they certainly understand the need for these sorts of supports for students with disability. They've had a huge push towards inclusion. This sort of specialised support is required for inclusion. It just seems like such a big step backwards. Dr. Emily White,
1: lecturer and researcher for inclusion education, also specialising in blindness and low vision education with the University of Melbourne. Thank you so much for your time thank you very much vicky's in sky good morning vicky
7: oh good morning how are you really
1: well what did you want to say
7: well i was just listening to the bottom end of this conversation um and we sort of come from a different end um my 10 year old son has autism and an intellectual disability and he was attending a special school from the age of three Um, We pulled him out two years ago because he was actually abused by a teacher in the school. Um, It was reported to us by one of the ES staff working in the classroom. The school never reported anything so we lodged a complaint through the education minister and the education department. Um, At that stage we were also looking at transitioning our son um, into a mainstream primary school one or two days a week depending on what he could handle. so we began doing that we pulled him completely out of the special school um, like literally with a moment's notice once we were notified yep. privately yep. by the staff member of what had happened
1: I'm gonna have to be um, I'm just gonna have to warn you here Vicky to be really careful not to mention any names and schools to no, say put no on at all. you thank you no yep. names
7: at all. Um, so we popped him into a, a local primary school um, and they had an ES helping but the ES was going to be shared across a number of students and obviously the ES didn't have the skills um, to deal with trauma and to deal with the disability as well. Um, We uh, offered training from uh, a mental health OT that we have employed Mm. through NDIS um, to the staff to teach them strategies on you know how to react to the child's behaviours Um, because they were quite extreme at the time.
1: And having to take that Cost and responsibility on yourself. That's something that's concerning a lot of parents. I mean, already we're getting texts coming in saying that this is not going to be something that we can afford, or it's not even something that NDIS covers. Emily Shepherd is the mum of Lewis, who has both vision and hearing loss. I know Emily, like so many of the other parents that we've got on hold at the moment, is just deflated and shocked and stressed around how and why this is happening. What will this mean? for you and what will this mean for you, for Lewis? Uh,
8: Well, it's
0: really, it's just really difficult at the moment, I think, to look at what the future looks like. We know that parents with children with disability are, you know, we have physical and mental health disparities compared to parents with uh, children without disabilities. We've just we're just exhausted, really. We we you know we really have to fight for, um, you know, all along the way, early intervention. You know, getting our kids to school is just such a you know a tricky task in itself. And the visiting teachers are um, on our side, and we've just always relied on that service to um, to help us and to help navigate the the education system for our kids and just make sure that they're safe and that they're happy and when they're safe and they're happy then, then they can be, begin to begin to learn um and we know that children who are given the opportunity for that education um, can go on to lead productive and meaningful lives they can yeah. contribute to society um, but if you take this education access away from them now it just snowballs and like it just absolutely snowballs into um yeah into not you know not great outcomes for our kids or our families so
2: Emily, what's the conversation been like? Have you been consulted on this? Have you been talked uh, to about this? You know, what have, what have you been told about what might be coming up?
0: Um, we officially we've had no word from either right. the school or the department. We've only heard, again, I know that Brie mentioned as well, just trickling information from various visiting teachers who, um, you know, we're just we're just sort of hearing it. I, I spoke to someone from the minister's office a couple of weeks ago. Um, to uh, voice my concerns about the proposals, um, at that time um, I was told that it was an industrial matter and not a concern for parents. Um, and I asked um, what you know what was my avenue to um, to consult or to provide feedback on the proposals, um, and they took that question on notice. And I'm still yet to hear back um, anything from that. So we're just we're just the, the forgotten about um, element in this, uh, I feel, and that's just. It's just a huge concern that, you know, this is just going to fall back on us as parents and we're already struggling enough as it is, yeah.
2: And and without that information, you can't even begin to understand what your options might be. You can't even start planning until you know what's actually happening. It's leaving you and and Lewis in limbo.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we know that the the Visiting Teacher Service now, you know, they're in, uh, obviously, crisis talks with their own unions about their own um, employment options, uh, but we're not... We're not having a service at the moment. Like, it's everything's on hold. So what what happens to the children in the classroom now? Like, it's just... It's a bit of a mess, and it's... um, It is a mess.
1: It is such a mess. Here's just one of the texts that are saying very similar things. It says... This is ridiculous. These proposals are heartbreaking to hear. I have two able bodied kids, but to hear these changes just makes me so angry. What idiot bureaucrat thought that this was a good idea? Is this state or federal? Both governments are in financial trouble, and yet these are our most vulnerable who are being written off. This is appalling behaviour. My tax should be used to help. This is, and this is just one of the texts that's coming through on this. Emily, what happens if, unfortunately, these proposed cuts do occur? What, um, what, what are your choices then?
0: Um, I, don't, I don't really think we have any. Um, I'm also a support group leader for um, other, um, you know, we support other parents with children with Usher syndrome, a condition that my son has. Um, And I am able to provide parents when they're newly diagnosed with quite a lot of hope about the future um, prospects of our our kids. We know that they can attend mainstream school with the right supports and accommodations. We know that they have got employment opportunities. But now I suppose that hope is just... I don't have the ability to tell parents that yeah. that what the future looks like for their kids mm. because that that education is just so vital for their long-term prospects. And of course, it is really distressing. Emily,
2: thank you so much for calling. And, look, best wishes to you and Lewis. I hope this comes through okay. I'll just say, Rochelle, we've had a text in from Stephanie saying, my 16-year-old son Ben is blind. He's been receiving visiting teacher service support for 10 years, one-on-one support at least once a week. It has been crucial to his educational success. Taking this support away will greatly decrease his chances of getting the ATAR scores he needs to get into university. And, Stephanie... I'm so sorry to hear about that. On the line, we've got Melanie in Ringwood. Melanie, you've worked with a visiting teacher before when you were a student.
9: Sorry, I didn't quite catch that.
2: I said you've worked with a teacher when you were a student?
9: Yes, I'm 45 and I'm legally blind and I had a visiting teacher through primary and secondary school. So I'm probably going to say similar stuff to other people, but they were really crucial, I think, to my Mm. success now as an adult in terms of giving me the fundamentals of how to use equipment, like, you know, your um, adaptive screen readers and magnifiers and things like that, because I'm able to do my job and do it well because I have those fundamental skills, which the visiting teachers have those skills in, and they're able to show you how to do that in a work, mm-hmm. like, you know, when you're at school. You're not having to leave school to go and attend another service. like I think they're proposing now, which means you're taking more time out of your school time to go and learn the skills that you need in a setting, in a different kind of a setting. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely, it does. And Melanie, like so many of us, we all have those teachers, don't we, that somehow have left an imprint on our lives and maybe helped us make a decision in the jobs or the careers that we have. And that should be made available to every single student, no matter their ability, no matter their disability. Without that support teacher, I mean, it's crystal ball kind of stuff, but how would that have changed your life as an adult and maybe the work that you do or just the life that you lead?
9: I guess back in the mid 80s to 90s when I was at school, disability was very different to how it is now. It's sort of like you're sort of a bit thrown on the scrap heap and not much is expected of you. So you had someone backing you and giving you the skills to negotiate through really quite difficult and challenging situations that I don't think a normal teacher would understand and be able to give you those skills. So I've been able to take that into the workplace when I've had to negotiate workplace adjustments and timelines and things like that. And I'm also advocating in my workplace about how do we make our work environment accessible to everyone so if someone comes for a job interview, they can come and feel comfortable knowing that they're going to Of course.
1: And this is what mainstream schooling is Mm. about, is about being able... It just feels like, oh, my God, it just feels like such a big step backwards, Melanie, doesn't it?
9: Yeah. It just makes me really anxious and sick to the stomach that we're going to disadvantage people that are really disadvantaged. And NDIS is about giving people jobs. But if you're not educated, you can't actually get a job. And it's really hard to get a job when you have a disability, even now. When you've got an education, like I've got a degree and everything, but it's still difficult to get work with that and all my work history. And if you don't have your basic skills that you learn in primary of course. That really sets you up for the future. That's
1: that why they're really called fundamentals, you, so you know. Oh, Melanie, uh, thank you for sharing that. Here's another perspective from a visiting teacher. My daughter is a VT who's also doing a Master's in Vision Impairment. Her life has been turned upside down and the education department don't seem to know what's going on.
2: Well, we've got Lucy on the line from the eastern suburbs. Lucy, you're a foster mum. <laughs> Tell me about what, you, what this means for you.
10: Yeah, I am very concerned about this and I have two different perspectives. Um, it's not just um, the kids that I've had that have um, often autism but also trauma behind it and their behaviours are sometimes very challenging for the classroom. They're often put in classes um, with their support teachers and their visiting teachers um, with other children who don't have that sort of funding, have maybe similar um, behaviours that that teacher can also be a support to. It's not just going to affect the, the ones that have that funding, it's going to affect so many classrooms. Oh, yeah. Like multiple children in each classroom from a different perspective. Um, I'm curious what the Department of Human Services, um, D- Department of Families and Fairness have, and they're the ones who manage a lot of the children in care. Um, because I couldn't see that one of our specific foster kids, she would be able to stay in a mainstream school. Now, we found it very hard to even move her into a a community-based special school for high school. They, it was almost refused that they would do that. Um, so uh, what's going to happen to all these children yeah. who are no longer able to
1: sit in the classroom? Are they Are just going to sit in the hallways? Off, like we, of we the used office? to, you know, in the 70s uh-huh. when, when someone either had a lear- learning disability or whatever it may be and there wasn't the support teacher or there wasn't just the understanding or the education. That's what happened, Nick. I mean, Lucy's right. What, are they just going to sit in the corner? We used to do that.
2: We used to do that or you'd be in detention because you couldn't focus in class (sighs) or, you know, you found reading difficult but no one had caught what the issue would be or find you some level of support. I saw it all the way through, 70s, 80s, into the 90s.
1: This, I'm a visiting teacher. I work with kids with cancer and cerebral palsy, epilepsy, quadriplegia. My colleagues and I are going to be completely left out. Our students will be completely unsupported. How can this proposal go forward is how we're starting to feel about this, but how does it impact you? Are you a support teacher? Are you a visiting teacher? How will this change your life? This is The Conversation Hour
2: on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
1: Michelle and Nick Healy with you. We're talking about the proposal to cut visiting teachers, those support teachers, and a really big cut, if it goes ahead, Nick, from something like 117 to 32. The rug is just being pulled out of so many people's lives. When you start to pull this apart, this is not just the child and the school that it impacts. It's everyone here.
2: Across the board, and what we keep hearing over and over, Rochelle, is that no one's got a real sense of what might happen, from teachers to parents. Everyone's saying that we you know, they're hearing rumours, they're hearing a little bit here and there, but no one actually has a clue of what this is going to mean.
1: This... Shocked and appalled by this change, we left the public school system because there wasn't adequate support to accommodate our son's learning needs. We hoped he'd be better supported in the private system, but then the state government changed the payroll rules for private schools, making the cost just substantially higher. Families of children with a disability are under extreme financial pressure to to support their children's development. The government has a responsibility to ensure equity in access for education and to reduce the risks of long. Long-term exclusion and discrimination. This policy change is abhorrent. And that's from Joe in Glen Iris. Professor Andrew Whitehorse, he's from the Anglesey Wright Bennett Professor of Autism Research and the Telethon Kids Institute at the University of Western Australia. When we look at what the long term impacts on this are in terms of exclusion and discrimination, how concerned are you, Andrew, if this proposal goes ahead?
11: Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks for inviting me on. Look, I I think we're talking a false economy here. Um, And, and, you know, there are lots of always competing voices in any any debate or or conversation around disability and inclusion. The one thing that we all do agree on, and that goes back to our human rights charters. Now, um, people with disability have a, a human right to education and they have a human right to inclusion. That's sort of enshrined. Within our disability, as our human rights charter, that Australia's a on. What we do know is that inclusion starts from birth. In, is that if we create segregated settings, um, or at least barriers to inclusion within mainstream settings, that plays out across the whole life. And um, it, it's not just good in terms of a human rights sense. It's, it's important in the sense of um, uh, economies. Is that um, by including people by creating environments in which people um, feel included, that they can work with their peers and can engage in the same ways as it, with their peers and learn at the same places as their peers, um, it actually saves later costs in terms of reduction in, disability in long or in the long run. So in the context of um, uh, every aspect that we can think about, inclusion during the early years, and particularly within school, is the right thing to do.
2: And my understanding is, like, obviously we could go back to a drawing board, we could redesign schools entirely, Andrew, to accommodate everyone, but for the moment, I mean, even just while we're talking autism, the spectrum, the full diversity there, I mean, schools cannot be expected to cope um, with students, you know, across that board without having those support teachers
11: yeah I think that's a really great point, Nick, and i would I would probably disagree on one point. they should be expected to cope because this is absolutely the fundamental human right that every child has to be to receive an education. What I will agree on is that schools as they are set up now can't. And so we, for me, we need to differentiate between two things. There's a now for now piece and a now for later piece. We absolutely need to fundamentally redesign our school systems so they are inclusive. Um, What we do have is we have 21st century views of disability, but with a 19th century um, infrastructure and architecture. And they don't fit. But that's a generational change. So that's the now for later piece. Let's actually put the building blocks in now to create a better education system for the next generation. In the meantime, there is a now for now piece. We cannot let a generation go by without the appropriate supports they need. So you're right, they can't cope at the moment, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't start putting the building blocks in now for that next generation.
1: Andrew, given the outrage that's coming through on this, can it be stopped, do you think? Do you think there's enough people power here to stop this?
11: Um, look, I think what we do have in the context of the disability landscape in Australia is um, a really important moment of of uh, landscape change. What we have with a number of systems, and two systems in particular, the NDIs and the schooling system, where we all agree of the utmost importance. These are. Such beneficial systems that create lifelong important changes in people. We also all agree that they are broken, the people with disability. And that to me, a, a, a universal recognition of their importance, but a universal recognized uh, need for change. Is the fundamental ingredients. They are the fundamental ingredients to create um, transformational change in how we reform these systems. So I think now is the moment. There will never be a better moment than now to truly create, start to create lasting change. And any policy um, uh, move away from that, I think, is a retrograde step.
2: Andrew really appreciate you taking the time this morning. Thank you Professor Andrew Whitehouse from the Angela Wright Bennett Professor uh, sorry Angela Wright Institute at University of Western Australia as well. Jill from Preston on the line. Jill a teacher you were a visiting teacher for quite a period of time.
8: Yes, I was. I was a visiting teacher for 20 years and I got into it because our um one of our sons has a severe hearing impairment and had visiting teacher support throughout his schooling um and the, the support that we got in understanding you know just sort of the importance of using his hearing aids um, right through school and um the understanding the equipment that was involved, dealing with um teasing you know ad, mm. advocating all those sorts of things anyway look the, the <clears throat> He's ended up with a very successful career in the public service, so he's obviously become mm. articulate. <laughs> it's more probably because he had out. support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the support worked. Anyway, yeah. but it's, it inspired me to do the work oh, as well, wow. and I've got to say we've had a lot of talk about vision, but the highest incidence of um, sensory impairment is actually hearing, and it's not just um, teaching Auslan. That's a very small part of our work because most of that's taken care of in. in Um, Specialist deaf schools and facilities, but we have lots of kids with um, things ranging from mild right through to severe hearing losses who um, rely on hearing um, rather than sign, and they there are so many things that they need to learn. Our training involved audiology, speech therapy. Understanding the equipment, acoustics, all these things that we need to explain to the teachers and the parents.
1: Absolutely. And I'm so glad you raised hearing as well because Dr. Kay Scott is the chairperson of the National Association of the Australian Teachers of the Deaf. Kay, we, um, I feel like we're sort of just scraping the surface of how significant this is for people. What are your concerns at the moment for either children that are hard of hearing or that are deaf that are going to, to state government schools at the moment?
12: Well, thank you for the opportunity to speak today. And um, can I just say that there have been so many fantastic uh, speakers who have covered much of what I would like to talk about Um What I am going to point out is that we are lucky in Australia. We have um, so many fantastic services. We have the universal newborn screening, which means that kids are identified earlier. They have earlier intervention, earlier fitting of devices. But we know the educational outcomes for these children have improved, but they are still behind over typically developing children of the same age. And this is with the current supports that we have available. And so if we if these um, supports are changed or dropped, we know this is going to impact on children's educational outcomes.
2: Okay, I mean, it just seems to me, Kay, that in terms of dropping down to 32 support staff statewide, it's just impossible that we could keep up those levels of support in any way, shape or form.
12: I couldn't agree more. With 32 staff throughout the state, uh, this is going to be a little more than lip service for these students. And as we've heard, Emily really well explained. Emily White from the University of Melbourne mm. explained really well the sort of things that happen. Um, you could translate what Emily talked about with vision impairment into uh, hearing impairment. We have, you know, very highly specialised needs in our group of children. And similarly, we have an expanded core curriculum, which talks about social and emotional growth, language and communication skills, functional skills. Um, you know, without a teacher of the deaf to support these students, developing the skills that children need to become really valued members of our society, um, it's just not going to happen.
1: Kay, I'm just wondering how much you know about, and we might put this to de- Meredith piece in, in just a moment, but I've had, and Nick and I have had quite a few texts saying, this is anonymous for protection, as we've been warned against speaking out. There's quite a few people who haven't wanted to put their names, and they've been told not to say anything about this and this one who's anonymous it says I'm a current visiting teacher for the hearing stream our caseloads are already overloaded it causes us to have to prioritize our students and their needs and not provide the most optimal service it's already overloaded to suggest this proposal cut won't impact students and our staff is just unbelievable it's quite a long text so I'll leave it there are people being told not to talk about this
12: um well, it, it's difficult for me to comment on that because I don't work for the Department of Education anymore. I, I did work for them for nearly 40 years, both as a visiting teacher, as a facility coordinator, and also as part of the Victorian Deaf Education Institute. Um, I'm hearing those things as well, um, which is interesting. Um, but that text message is is couldn't be truer. You know, um I really call on the minister and the Department of Edu- Education to find out who's advised them on these vital cuts, you know, on these cuts. You know, we have current academics at Macquarie University, Deakin University, University of Melbourne, Newcastle University. All of those universities have specialists in the field of education and none of them have been consulted about these cuts and the impact of these cuts for our students. So um, I just call on the Department of Education to reverse this. We already have low levels of support. If we look Mm. at Western Australia, we look at New South Wales, the levels of support that those students receive are far higher than currently in Victoria. And we're talking about at least halving the service
13: to this group of children.
1: We appreciate your time, Dr K. Scott. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Chairperson of the National Association for the Australian Teachers for the Deaf... We did request to speak to the Minister for Education, Natalie Hutchins, who declined. And in lieu of an interview, we asked for a statement in response to concerns that teacher support funding would be there, but we're yet to receive a response and a written response on that as well. Let's have a chat to Kay, who is in Ballarat. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Kay. Kay, can you hear us? We might pop K back on hold. Nick, the text on this, Rochelle and Nick I hope these proposed cuts to specialist teachers do not come into fruition I'm a man with cerebral palsy who completed his education to a tertiary level, this opportunity should not be denied to any students with a disability that may result from some of these proposed cuts, and another again saying as a visiting teacher I've been told by the department that I can apply for a department role unrelated to my area of expertise and that would involve a $20,000 a year pay cut. I've also been told that I can apply for a redundancy package, which takes into account my years of service. I took six months family leave to have a child. So this means my pay on my last year of service would not include my 15 years of service that I've provided. Again, that's anonymous. There's a lot of people who are afraid to talk about this.
2: I'm noticing it and and someone's texted in saying this is such an interesting angle on it. So difficult for dedicated professional VTs working with all these students during this time and worrying how they will say goodbye to them next term with no one to continue to help and support these vulnerable children. I mean, if you are a professional VT, you're in it because you care, because you love and because you want to make a difference. This has got to be affecting them on a very emotional level.
1: Let's try Kay in Ballarat. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, how
0: are you? It's Kate.
1: Kate, apologies. What did you want to say?
0: Look, my son, Blake, is 11 years old and he is blind. Um, Now, he goes to a Catholic school, so technically he's not impacted by this, but. His visiting teacher works across both the the government public schools here in Ballarat and the Catholic schools. So I'm really afraid that if she loses her job, you know she you know um, she might leave, and then Blake will be so detrimentally affected by this. The visiting teacher is absolutely crucial to his learning. She teaches him braille, she teaches mm-hmm. him how to use his technology. And I'm really also really concerned about, you know, why does my son in the private
1: school system get something that public schools Mm. do not? You're not the only one that's concerned about this, Kate. Thank you so much for holding. Meredith Peace is the president of the Australian Education Union in Victoria. Meredith, I'm not sure where we should start, but first things first. Are visiting teachers being told not to speak openly about this?
13: Uh, We have had some examples where uh, our members have indicated that they'd been spoken to about speaking to parents and some of the schools they work in. Uh, We've raised those issues with the department and said, that's not acceptable. You're proposing to cut people's jobs. They have every right to talk to the very people who they are supporting and let them know. So uh, we hope that doesn't continue, but certainly there have been some cases...
2: Meredith, beyond that, has there been a a decent level of communication going back to those support teachers that you're aware of?
13: Uh, We're in discussion with the department about what's been proposed. We put a submission into that consultation process. Uh, We've also sought to get the department to directly speak to the visiting teacher workforce uh, as opposed
1: to the broader public service who are also affected by these Hang on a second. Are you saying they haven't actually spoken to the visiting teachers?
13: No, they have. They have. Okay. Right. Uh, so they they were, uh, of course, told when the announcements were made, uh, but we've sought to have separate meetings. But they didn't meetings. consult with them? Uh, no, we're in a period of cons- consultation now, so no one knew about the cuts when they were announced, uh, but they're now in a period of consultation and the final decision is expected uh, mid to late September. So uh, we've put in a uh, submission. We've encouraged our individual visiting teacher members to do that as well. Uh, And we've made sure that the department has been appropriately briefing and talking to the visiting teachers uh, to make sure that they're fully aware of everything that is proposed uh, so that uh, they're fully informed.
1: We requested the Minister for Education. We even just requested if they didn't want to come on, this would be Natalie Hutchins, of course, that maybe they could just send us a, a written response. We didn't receive either. Just another text is now coming in saying, yes, the visiting teachers have been gagged. They've been in meetings all this week about redundancies and that they will start from October. So if we're how much of it is a consultation if they're already being offered redundancies? That sounds like a done deal.
13: Yeah, look, the, part of the proposal has been to say that there will be redundancy packages if if the decision that they've proposed is made. Uh, so people have been informed about what that will look like in the event that the decision has been made. But uh, our focus at the moment on behalf of our members is to push back on this proposal because we think... Uh, It is not appropriate. It will leave uh, particularly, and I think as your program has shown today, it'll leave students and their families without really vital support. Uh, And for our broader membership in the mainstream schools, they rely heavily on these visiting teachers to help them uh, respond to the needs of students who are in their classrooms every day. Uh, And, you know, this will be a significant loss if the government goes ahead with these cuts.
1: Merida, thanks for your time. Meredith Peterson, the President of the Australian Education Union of Victoria. Kate has just sent a message saying parents would like to meet with the Minister as well, but she's Great. refusing. The Opposition Minister has met with parents this week. I'm not sure that consultation works, Nick, once it's already kind of a done deal and redundancies are being offered. Generally, consultation happens a lot earlier in the but process.
2: It feels like less of a consultation and more of an edict, if you put it that way. If you're just telling people what's already going to happen... That's not consulting.
1: It's confronting to hear how this is going to impact people today. It really is. You said
2: you were angry. I'm feeling
1: a bit angry at the
2: end of that hour. I'm sorry. I really am
1: a bit furious,
2: to be honest.
1: Don't forget the Conversation Hour is also a podcast. So if you've missed the beginning of this program or you want to share it with someone, maybe there's someone in your life who has a support teacher or is a support teacher. Subscribe to the Conversation Our Podcast. Go to the ABC Listen Up. We download every show we do every day, so you'll always have something to listen to.